Okay, good morning. So you all know what a commission is? A commission? Not the kind that a salesman earns, like if they sell something and get a certain percent of the sale. Uh, that's also known as commission, okay? I see Henry nodding his head, right? Good, right? I'm talking like commission, like, like an instruction or a command or even like a duty given to a group of people, right? And an example would be, Example would be like presidential commissions. I don't know if you know this. Presidents give a lot of commissions. Um, in 2001, there's a President's Commission on Excellence in Special Education. So there, a group of people is, um, they're established, um, a group of people is formed to recommend policies for improving the educational performance of, of students with disabilities, right? This president says, I have the authority, I'm gonna commission this group of people to do a certain thing, right? These types of commissions try to figure something out, like, what went wrong or, or uh, how they can improve. Um, there are art commissions, right? Um, especially for a work of art to be produced. Um, someone asks um, an artist to do a painting you know, or a sculpture, right? And that artist is commissioned. I have a friend uh, who's an artist and she's been commissioned to do some paintings. She's been paid for it, all right? Uh, the Sistine Chapel is, uh, uh, the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel is very famous. And I think most of us will recognize it. Uh, the ceiling was actually a commission by then Pope Julius II to an artist named Michelangelo, right, who actually originally didn't want to do the painting. Okay, but he did it anyway and we get to enjoy it. Today we're going to talk about the most famous commission in the Bible, the Great Commission. All right, and Jesus gives a charge, Jesus gives a commission to a group of people to do something. But it's not to investigate or paint anything, although you could do those things uh, um, as part of the commission. Uh, but today we will finally finish the book of Matthew. We will begin in Matthew 28. So if you have your, if you'd like to follow along physically, uh, you can, I hear the pages rustling already, but Matthew 28, and we will start in verse 16. This is the Great Commission. And again, I will have uh, the verses up here. Okay, before we begin, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you, spend the, that you send the Spirit to us right now. May my words be your words to communicate to us, uh, myself included, Father, how much you love us, Father, and how much you want us to take this great commission of yours to heart. To, to heart. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read the whole passage uh, first because it's short, but then, but then we'll break it down like verse by verse, okay? Uh, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, I, I look back at my messages over the years. Uh, much of my sermons have talked about being disciples, you know, becoming disciples, how we think of, how we, how we should think about things, what we do for others, what we say to others. But today we are asked to make disciples. All right, so let's, let's break this down verse by verse. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So God often revealed himself, uh, so God often revealed himself on mountains. And, um, major events often happen on mountains. Uh, here are only a few, and I, I'm, I'm not gonna talk about all of them. Mount Ariad is where Noah's Ark rested after the flood. Uh, Mount Sinai is where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Mount Moriah is where Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. And it's actually the, the location where Solomon was to build God's temple. Uh, and so on and so on. You, and you could read the others. Jesus had some um, events there too. So when Jesus tells them to go to the mountain so he can tell them something, you know it's going to be big. You know it's going to be major. You have this long and storied history of God and Jesus doing major things on mountains. And, and this time is no different. All right? So let's, let's see what Jesus has to say. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The first thing Jesus does is establish authority for the commission he's about to give. And this is good. This is natural. Establishing authority is a good way to lay like this groundwork for what's to follow. Right? Say you want to teach something, right? And say you have like a, say you have like a PhD in this subject, right? That establishes authority, right? You can say, you know, hi, hi, my, my, my name is Bob, right? I, I, I hear, I learn, I heard that you want to learn about biology. I have a PhD in biology from this really impressive university. Maybe I can help you. Right? The authority comes for this impressive university issuing a doctorate degree to you. Right? Or remember the, um, remember the presidential, uh, commission we looked at earlier? I'm the president of the United States. Right? I have this authority to form this committee, to form this commission to do this thing. Jesus does the same thing. He establishes his authority. Now, for Jesus, he is referencing a prophetic vision from the book of Daniel. In my vision at night, in Daniel 7, 13, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, Jesus is identifying himself as this person, the Son of Man. And he's like, he's rightfully claiming this authority for himself, right? He's establishing his authority. So when Jesus says this, we saw earlier types of commissions and authorities given to them, right? By presidents or whomever. Jesus calls upon the highest authority ever called, right? All authority in heaven, which I, I think is already enough. If you claim all authority in heaven, I, I think you're done. Like, that's, that's good enough. But he adds all authority on earth, right? This is as if Jesus is saying, I have the authority to issue this commission, right? My authority doesn't come from anyone like government or, or group of people. My authority comes from all of heaven, all of earth. This is the biggest trump card that anyone has ever laid down. Jesus is saying, I, I, I can do this. I have all this authority. And so we get to the Great Commission. In verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is the end of the book of Matthew. Let's pray. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have a lot to say here. The commission itself is actually one main verb. 
Okay, there's only one main verb. Make disciples. Okay, it's in green up there. Right, in the original Greek language, it's the one main imperative verb. Make disciples. That's it. The Great Commission is to make disciples. That's it. Right? And, and the word disciple just means learner or, or, or pupil. So make learners, make pupils, make students, right? The emphasis on the Great Commission isn't actually announcing or, or spreading the gospel. It assumes that. Right? The em- emphasis on the Great Commission is the, is more on the, the, the difficult and tiring and time consuming task of making disciples. To follow after all that righteousness that's articulated in Jesus' teachings in all the previous, all the previous messages I've spoken about. Now, there is more to the Great Commission than just make disciples. Of course. Okay, of course. There are three subordinate participles. All right. And the first one is go. Go to the nations. We are to go and engage all the world. Right. And if you remember, the gospel of Jesus was initially only supposed to go to the Jews. All right. Only to the Jewish people. So now for the first time, for the first time, that limitation is removed. Go out to everyone now. All right. And if you, I want to pull back from history. If you remember these verses from before, this is in Matthew 10, 5, right? Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any, any town of the Samaritans, right? Matthew 15, 24. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now I cherry picked these verses. So if you want to know the context, you're, you're free to read why he said these things. But all this is done now. It's like this, all this, never mind. Okay. Never mind. Today, go out onto the nations, go out into the world, make disciples of all of them. And Jesus himself knew that was temporary. He even spoke before, uh, Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, right? Matthew 24, 14. He already set this up. He knew this was coming. Matthew 26, 13. Whoever this gospel is preached throughout the, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, He's talking about something that happened, okay? Again, I, I, I cherry-picked these verses, but you know, you're free to go back and see what the, the context is. So Jesus knows that eventually the gospel is going to go to the world because I'm going to commission everybody. I'm going to command everybody. So now the Gentiles, people like you and me, right, because none of us are Jew, I believe, okay, we are now fully included and welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. This is go. The second participle is baptize. And I do go over more in depth um, on this in our church baptism class, but baptism is a sacrament. This could actually be a whole uh, sermon by itself. Okay, it's a symbol of Christ's burial and resurrection. It's it's really a symbol of our new lives as believers. And we have seen people baptized um, out just just right out there in our portable pool. Uh, many of you guys have been baptized there. And the last participle is teaching, teaching them to obey. And we're basically told to do what Jesus himself did. This is nothing different. And I I have some verses. I don't want to get too bogged down because there's a lot. But I just want to go through a a few pretty quickly. In Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In 7.29, because he taught as one who had authority. And... Matthew 21, 23, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, all right, you kind of see this, right? This is no different. Jesus taught, we should teach. Make disciples. 
I look back on the book of Matthew and, and, um, and how like Matthew was crafted and how Matthew was put together. And if, if you look at the beginning, Matthew starts with this genealogy. And, if you, and he ends with this final commandment, this, this final commission. As if to say, like, you know what, yeah, this wasn't just a nice story about a real man named Jesus Christ who, who walked the earth and, and all the adventures that happened to him and his merry band of followers, his, his merry band of disciples. There's a call to action that we shouldn't merely sit on our hands watching idly as the world passes by, as if we're secure in our faith and then just do nothing. And I've been guilty of that. This is a command to all of us, not to, not to just pastors. Only pastors should go out and make disciples, or church leaders, or worship leaders, or, or you know the professional Christians, people who get paid to be at church. This is a command to every believer, make disciples. Even in uh, Morris's CE class this morning, he was saying this call is for all of us, not just church leaders. My last message was a couple months ago. It was called Mission Complete. Mission Complete. Jesus' one mission, his one mission was to die for us. Jesus did a great other mother many things, such as, you know, he, he taught in parables, he, he healed the sick, he performed miracles, he, you know, controlled a, a whole source of, you know, the, the, the weather, and he, he fed a lot of people. But his one main mission was to die for us. And... While his mission was now complete, our mission, our commission, our command is now, now only begins. Our faith is not, kept, is not meant to be kept secret. Make disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching. Do you remember medieval, do you remember learning about medieval apprentices? Right? These are people who learn their trade from, from someone's skill. It could be bakers or tailors or blacksmiths or carpenters. Right? Someone with more experience trains someone less experienced. Someone with more experience trains someone who is less experienced. Our process is similar. Make disciples. How many of you guys seen uh, Walt Disney Fan Fantasia? Four people. Sad. You, you young kids are missing out. Okay. Right? In The Sorcerer's Apprentice, there's a young Mickey who happens upon his master's magical hat. All right? I won't give it away, but he gets into some mischief, and his master has to set some things right in the end. Okay? In a previous job I held, um, I was assigned to someone who was younger. And I was kind of like a temporary mentor to them, and it's kind of showing them how things were done in the department. Okay? And it lasted for uh, a couple months or so. Any of you at work that have that kind of same system in place where they, Henry, okay, good, right? You, you kind of pair up an experienced employee with the, with the new employee, you kind of show them, you know, here's where the bathrooms are, here's where the copier is, you know, this is how to, this is how to do things, right? Kind of show them the ropes. Even high school has, has the same thing. Uh, I've had a lot of students go through Temple City High School. Uh, there it's called Link Crew. And I, I know a car, uh, I have, uh, Arcadia uh, USD has the same thing. They welcome incoming freshmen and make them feel comfortable. They assign like 10 freshmen to each leader and each leader kind of basically helps them with questions and stuff throughout their first year. Now, when I think about these examples, medieval apprentices learned their trade, what, uh, you know, a bakery or a blacksmithing, whatever. 
They learned to be their, like their master with respect to the trade. But they didn't learn to be their, their master with respect to the personality or conduct or character. Mickey Mouse learns magic-ish, uh, okay? But he's not learning to be more like the old white man, right? And high school freshmen, if they're part of Link Crew, they're oriented to their new surroundings, but they're not taught to be more like the Link Crew leader specifically, right? When you follow somebody on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or any other social media, you're only learning about that person, what they're eating, where they're eating, what they're up to, what they find interesting, their hobbies, their feelings, right? When we follow Jesus, it's learning to be more and more like him, Jesus. We call that becoming more Christ-like, a process we call sanctification. I've used a book called Discipleship Essentials before. Uh, this is from Greg Ogden. And it was me and, um, me and two other guys, and we would meet once a week going through all the chapters. I think the, this one had 26 chapters. Right, so if you go every other week, you know, it takes about a year. The idea was, once we finished that book, we would then go out and disciple other people. And we would start replicating that system. All right, and in, in the book, uh, you know it wouldn't be me without some numbers and some graphs, right? So bear with me. All right. This is linear versus exponential. On the left-hand side, in the per well, left-hand side is the year, but um, in the middle column, if evangelists told one person about Jesus Christ every day of the year, at the end of the first year, they would have told 365 people about Jesus Christ. But the disciple would only have told two. It's just that person and that and the person that, that he's talking to, right? But in the second year, the evangelist talks to another 365 people. So the, at the end of the second year, he's talked to 700 and, you know, whatever, or, sorry, 730 people about Jesus Christ. But in that second year, those two disciples have, have chosen one person each and one person each only, and they have. So there's only four people. You see where this is going, right? I'm not going to go through all the numbers. At year 12 is the, I don't want to say break-even point, but year 12 is where they overlap. And you can see how exponential, um, you, can, you can see how exponential this graph gets. Uh, I could have kept on going on, but then the, the linear line would just be a flat line against the, against the x-axis. Year 12 is a crossover spot. If you just take one person and disciple them, and after the end of that year, both you and that person disciple one person. And at the end of that year, all four of you disciple one person. And after the year of that, all eight of you disciple one person. You can see how quickly... This is, this is our command, to make disciples. Paul did the same thing in Timothy. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, 2, 2, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many reliable witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be also qualified to teach others who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul's saying to Timothy, you've heard me teach these things to men who will in turn teach other people. You're teaching teachers. Does this make sense? You are teaching teachers. In my old workplace, we have something called train the trainers. We have these, we have these long meetings. 
train the cha- they're, they're actually conferences. And we would train people to train other people. <laughs> Continue the cycle. Make disciples. Now, before, before we can make disciples, we need to be disciples already. Before we can make disciples, we need to be disciples already. And I, I came up with three analogies. We tend to invest our time in our hobbies. And so I picked up, I picked three random hobbies. You know, in, ph- in photography, uh, there are classes and groups you can join. There's online resources. If a, person, um, if a person in photography came to me and said, you know, my pictures come out terrible. You know, I want to get better. I'm not sure what to do. You know, I would ask, do you, do you read photography websites? Do you read photography books? Do you ask other experts? Do you go out and practice shooting? Because if you don't, you should be. If you want to be a serious photographer, you should be doing those things. If you don't, why are you complaining? Bicycling is a serious sport. You ever see those huge, colorful groups riding on Sunday mornings through Arcadia and Temple City? Just me. You see them, right? Right? I have to admit, it's a sight to behold. It's cool when you see all those bikes zip through Huntington Drive, right? Ignoring all those red lights, right? You see them do that? I don't want to bust anybody because some of you guys might have been doing this, right? But it's amazing. It's amazing to see. If a person came in biking came to me and said, you know, I don't know how to ride my bike or my race times are slow or my clothing's all wrong. Or I don't know what bike accessories I need and I, I, and I want to get better in biking. I'd ask, do you read up on biking? Do you consult with experts? Do you actually bike a lot, practice, training? Because if you don't, you should be. If you want to be a serious biker, then you should be doing those things. And if you don't, then why are you complaining? So video games are probably present in every adolescent person's life. I'm looking at these kids over here, and some of us adults too. If a person wanting to get better came to me and said, I play games, but I always lose, or people are always calling me a noob, you know, no one wants to ever play with me, or I always die quickly, I would ask, do you read up on gaming forums, websites, maybe watch live streams of pro gamers? Maybe do you practice a lot? Because if you don't, then you should be. If you want to be a serious gamer, you should be doing those things. If you don't, then why are you complaining? Now, of course, if, if all these things are just hobbies for you, and you don't care to get better, that's fine. It's perfectly fine. We all take pictures on our phone, right? That's fine. We might go for a casual bike ride. We might relax or wind down playing some video games. That's perfectly okay. But that's not how we should treat our faith, casually. We acknowledge we don't become experts overnight, whether in hobbies or sports or musical instruments or whatever. You're not going to pick up a camera and immediately become the next Ansel Adams. You're not going to pick up biking and immediately become the next best biker in the world. My, my original example is Lance Armstrong, but then, you know, yeah. Greg Lamont, Greg Lamont. You're not going to start a new video game and all of a sudden be at level 100. You're not going to pick up a cello and merely become the next Yo-Yo Ma. I, I think you know where I'm going with this. Our faith is a serious thing, people. But we don't often treat it that way. And many people come to us pastors, hey Andy, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm not even what to do. God's, God's not working out for me. I don't sense his presence. I would ask, do you read the Bible? Which is God's revelation about himself to you? 
Do you read articles on Christianity online? Do you come to church with an attitude of wanting to build a relationship with God rather than treating it as a once a week social event? Are you in a home group? Are you in a discipleship group? Do you have a spiritual mentor? Do you pray? Do you talk to God other than at meals? Because if you don't, you should be. If you want to, if you want to be a serious Christian and grow in your faith, you should be doing those things. Before we make disciples, we need to be disciples already. And if you don't think you're holy or spiritual enough, we don't have to be amazing disciples, amazing Christians. Remember, Jesus' own disciples bumbled their way through Jesus' ministry. But they had a heart to continue to learn. I'm just as simple as you all. Now, I want to say, doing these Christian things, uh, reading the Bible, going to church, praying, uh, you know, joining discipleship group, prayer group, uh, joining youth group, they're not a guaranteed way to get closer to God. Though it's a good start, but it's not a guaranteed way. This isn't a recipe. Why is that? Because of the Holy Spirit. You respond, we respond to the Holy Spirit and have a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. Doing all these things does allow a place for the Holy Spirit to, walk, to start working in your heart. But this isn't a performance metric. I do these things and this will happen. This isn't a contract that we make with God. We are all commanded to make disciples, not just pastors, not just church leaders, all of us. My, taught, my dad taught me many things, and I, I remember learning how to change a tire, uh, throw a baseball. I still have and use my glove from high school. It still fits my hand. I haven't grown that much since high school. Kicking a soccer ball, how to tend a garden. These are all things that I'm excited to teach my own son, and I can already see how excited he is to learn. He's always saying, help daddy, help daddy. Sometimes I don't want him to help because you know, stuff is dangerous. Other times, like, yeah, you can help me. Here he's trying to help me bake. <laughs> he always wants to help us, whether it's woodworking or baking or watering the plants. Think, if you're a parent, think back to the things that you've taught your kids. You probably remember this stage, right, where your kids wanted to help. God as our father-parent analogy works on so many levels. I think we all have this natural inclination. We want to teach our own kids things, especially how to do things. But it has to be more than just physical or educational. It has to be spiritual too. We have to make disciples. I do want to teach my son how to change a tire. But I also want to tell him about Jesus a lot every day. And right now, he, he says grace at our meals right now, more or less. Jesus says, come to me. And I would hope that we all take that calling seriously. Come to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish in hell, but he, they will, they'll have eternal, everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. If you truly believe this, as many of us today do, then take your faith seriously and try to get to know this person who gave up his life for you. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I know I usually end on the slide, but I have a couple left. I want to uh, 
I want to close out 13 years of preaching on the book of Matthew. <laughs> Today is the end of a very long journey for me. And for you, if you've been with me to the beginning, I only, it's only a few. Henry, maybe Morris. <laughs> uh, 2010. If you were with me in 2010, man, um, I know 2010 is 11 years ago, but I actually started this series in, in EFC Arcadia. In 20, so it's 13. You know, after graduating seminary, I, I took a job as a youth pastor at a sister church called EFC Arcadia. And part of my duties naturally was speaking, and I didn't know where to start. So I chose the, I chose the first book of the New Testament. Um, honestly, that's how I chose the book of Matthew. And I methodically went verse by verse, chapter by, ver chapter, by chapter, sequentially. I started in chapter 1, which was the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I actually made a sermon out of that, just the genealogy. <laughs> And today we get to end in Matthew 28 with the great commission of Jesus Christ. The past 13 years for me has had its ups and downs, uh, to be sure. And, and many of you have walked with me during that time. Uh, I changed jobs, as many of you guys know. Um, I, I got married to a wonderful woman. Um, we had a kid, and he is very precious to us. I am so honored and lucky to have pastored so many youth kids during this time. And for those of you who have been with me since 2010, you know this slide would be a lot, the faces would be a lot smaller because there'd be, there'd be so much more. These are the ones who have already graduated while they were here at this church. And you young kids here in the front three rows, I look forward to attending your graduations. Because this time is coming faster than your parents expect. That's what they always tell me. And that's what they always warn me about when, when, when Jonathan was born. They tell me, next thing you know, Jonathan's going to be driving. And while I hope that I have imparted some sort of knowledge or conviction over the years to you all, I think that the person most changes myself. You learn a lot researching for a sermon when you research a passage. You do, go, you do get to know the text a lot better. But then an unintended side effect is that you become, at least for me, and I don't know what it is for Pastor Mike, but you become more aware of, you become more aware of yourself in perhaps good, both good and bad ways. And for me, I became more aware of my sin, my sins. And I was challenged in what I was doing right and, and what I could have, what I could improve upon. So as you become more aware of your sins, you also become more aware of God's grace. And this morning when I was doing my final uh, dry run, I prayed that for all of you, that you would be all more aware of your sins, but more aware of God's grace. It's amazing, this journey. Many of us have been Christians a long time. But as our passages today suggest, we can't remain students our entire lives. We kind of take it easy. And I, I've done that uh, before I became a pastor, since I've become a pastor, kind of took it easy and, and coasted. And some of you have, have admitted that to me before. A lot of the youth kids have said that. I'm kind of coasting right now. I'm not really just kind of hanging in there. We are commissioned, we are commanded by Jesus to make disciples. We have a commission to go to the nations. We have a commission to baptize. 
we have a commission to teach others. In effect, we are all to become missionaries. We have been commissioned, so let's all go make disciples. Mike and I have been talking, we have some ideas on this, and I'm excited for the future of our church. Let us go forth and make disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, at the end of your son's life, he commanded, he commissioned us to go forth and make all this, go forth and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach all of them to obey your commands. But most of all, to love you, and secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, I pray you convict our hearts. Be with us. Help us disciple others. Help us multiply. Not for ourselves or the greatness of Generations Church, but to multiply your kingdom, Father. We are human. Our sin, our pride, our egos, we get in the way. We pray that you reveal yourself to us, your glory to us. Convict us in our sins. Help us understand your unending, unending, unending grace. Thank you most of all for sending your son to die for us on that cross. In your son's most holy and precious name, amen.